It's 12 and up. Season 11, episode 10. With your host, Jonathan Malone, and other hosts. 12 and up is a podcast about Christian faith and culture in the modern age. Your host, Jonathan Malone, is the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Rhode Island. The other host will be mentioned further on in the show. I'm going to keep you in suspense. Haha. This podcast is brought to you by Live Action Role Playing. Don't knock it till you try it, folks. Don't knock it till you try it. Live Action Role Playing. There's more to it than you think. And we're back. Uh, this is an intro for a live show uh, in the begin in the end of June, beginning of June. In the beginning of June, I wasn't doing anything. But the end of June, I was in Virginia Beach with a couple of hundreds of my Baptist friends for the American Baptist Churches of the USA Biennial Mission Summit Gathering. And a lot of great preaching happened and conversations and all that fun stuff. And in the midst of that, I was able to do a live show with um, uh, Mindy Welton Mitchell, with Jamie Washam, and with Molly Marshall. I The recording is not at the best because I wasn't able to be in a soundproof studio like I usually am, which isn't true at all. Uh, but I think you still get the ideas across, and I tried to take out as many blips and bumps as I possibly could. Um, but it was a live show, so there was a live audience, and um, just a lot of fun things happened. It was a really good conversation, um, a lot of amazing wisdom on that stage. So without further ado, enjoy the live show in Virginia Beach, Virginia, at the American Baptist Summit Gathering. Okay, we're going to start the show, just so for the audience, I'm glad that you're all sitting over here, you're just like church, it's all in one place, um, but yeah, we're going to start the show for audience to know, please feel free to shout, to laugh, to make noise, it's quite alright, these microphones are just for recording purposes, apparently we're live streaming to two people, um, and, and eventually, apparently they're also two separate individuals. Um, they wanted to be in the same room, but Josh, Josh, everyone say hi, hi to Josh. Josh is part of the work, really, that we're making this happen. Thank you, Josh, for setting this up. Um, Josh demanded that they all they be in separate rooms. So there's two sad people sitting in rooms by themselves watching this. Um, or maybe they're maybe they're two. There's two introverts sitting in rooms by themselves. <laughs> That's a nice, thank you, Jake. <laughs> okay, so here we go. It's 12 and up, the live show. <laughs> With your host, Jonathan Malone, and guest hosts, Mindy Welton Mitchell, Jamie Washam, and Molly Marshall, and all of the fine American Baptists here in Virginia. <laughs> 12 and Up is a podcast of Christian faith and culture in the modern age. Your hosts are from a lot of different places. I'm not going to get into that right now. This podcast is brought to you in part by the American Baptist Home Mission Societies. For decades, nay centuries, nay generations, nay for millennia, bringing justice and peace and a little bit of witticism to American Baptist and beyond. Thank you, American Baptist Home Mission Societies. 
for the use of the stage and this time and all the equipment, I really do appreciate it. I do want to say, since I did mention them, another fine organization to be aware of is the American Baptist <laughs> Historical Society. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that because I have, I am on the board. Uh, so American Baptist Historical Society holding the records and archives and resources of the American Baptist Home Mission Societies for over a hundred years now. You're welcome. <laughs> so for this show, we're going to start with the Rylage. is a made-up word, so please don't send in those emails. It's not a real word, but it comes from the word to rile, to get angry. And part of the reason we do this is because Baptists do get angry. But I'm, I now live in the New England area where we learn to bottle up our emotions. That's what we're supposed to do, right, Jamie? You push them deep down, and then especially as pastors, when we go to the pulpit, we're always supposed to carry this air of serenity and always just be on top of things and fine. So we need an outlet, that's the rileage. So I'm gonna start so you get an idea of what rileages can be. How many of you have been to the beach so far? You already, some of you already know where I'm going with this. So some of you have already been to the beach. I'm really impressed with the Virginia Beach layout. They have a wonderful boardwalk. And they have it set up nicely so there's a place for cyclists to go and a place for pedestrians to go. Those of you who've been to the beach have seen this, right? That's really nice. It keeps things orderly, keeps things separate. Nobody's on top of each other. What bugs me is that the times I've been to the beach doing my thing, I'm seeing all these folks on their bikes biking where you're supposed to be walking and then people walking where you're supposed to be biking. And it's like pure anarchy in Virginia Beach. There's like no sense of decorum and rules. There's even signs telling you you're not supposed to swear. Well, how am I supposed to keep from swearing when I see cyclists almost running me over, taking my life? Because they won't follow the rules. It's a selfishness that needs to be curtailed and stopped. It's what makes me angry. So I'd like to invite up my next guest, my first guest, now to get a sense of the rileage. Mindy Welton Mitchell, she's the pastor of Queen Anne Baptist Church. Um, Queen Anne is spelled with an E. Where the E goes, I'm not gonna tell you. In Seattle, Washington, and she's also on staff for the Evergreen Association. Please give a nice welcome to Mindy Welton Mitchell. There you go. Have a seat. Mindy, All nice right. to have you on the show. Yeah, nice to be here. This is Mindy's first time on the show, yes. which is a, is a shame. Because I, I think Mindy is one of the most prolific people in the American Baptist circles. Every time I'm on Facebook, I see, I just wrote this article, or here's another blog post. And then I'm like, I just watched this Marvel movie, and then I just watched this Marvel movie. So I, the consensus is you probably don't sleep. Yeah, I don't sleep. Which is good. Sleep is, we'll sleep when we're dead. You know, but, so Mindy, good to have you on the show. Nice to be here. What's ticking you off? Well, there's a lot of things, but. If you can narrow it to right. one, for the sake of time. Narrow it to one. Well, right now, I just went on, uh, I was on Facebook, and you might have seen there's a petition uh, to remove Good Omens, the show from Netflix. And it's not even on Netflix, it's on Amazon Prime. Like, first of all, get your, 
get your platform straight. And second of all, Good Omens is an excellent theological show. If you haven't watched it, I watched all six episodes on my long flight from Seattle to here. Amazing theological questions that are wrestled with, and it's basically a demon and an angel who become best friends and try to stop Armageddon from happening. Now, is, and, is David Tennant on that show? Yes. Well, and then it's, it's a great show. It is awesome. Just for the acting alone, it is a pure delight. But it's just one of those things where you see people getting all up in arms about something um, on TV that they're not going to watch, that they, they can't even get the right platform on, and they're getting all like worked up on this when it's actually a good message of hope and love and actually probably expresses the Christian message better than some of their protest um, signs do. So. That's rallying me up right now. So who, who is, so first, I, I admit I've not seen the show Good Omens um, because I have Netflix. <laughs> I'm not on Amazon Prime. Has anyone who's seen Good Omens? We have fans? Read the book? Yeah. It's right. a book. Yes, Terry Pratchett and um, Neil Gaiman. Yeah. Well, okay, so I'm in with those yeah. authors. That's fantastic. So so Good Omens, it's, we, we endorse it. We're going to give it the, the 12 and up endorsement, which will make it probably have one more reader. Or, or what, viewer, viewer yeah. or viewer. Well, you can read the book, I guess, yeah. uh, but something. So it's a good show. Yeah. And who are the people that are really looking to? Do, can we kind of define those who are all up in arms and want to get the show taken off a platform oh, that it's not even on? Yeah, because the um, the character by David Tennant, who is a demon, who was the snake in the garden, questions whether what he did in tempting um, even Adam was the wrong thing. And that maybe the angel who's trying to help Adam and Eve is doing Adam and Eve is doing the wrong thing, and that maybe he did actually the right thing. And they question what is good, what is evil, and their roles in all of this. And um, it's really it starts off and it's just powerful, and it's it's beautiful, and it's also I mean an angel says an F word, so that's probably well, what that's, the real. Yeah problem is for some people. But if you can get past that, the theology is excellent, the questions asked are excellent, and. So uh, if, if you could give me a spoiler for when the F word shows up, then I can watch it and just like cover my ear for that part. That's that's what um, I would ask. Um, or does it ha ha happen it's, often? It's, there's, there's British actors, so it's like gonna happen a lot. Oh, I didn't know British actors wear a lot. I thought they were all. <laughs> okay, that's good. Um, so good omen. So really, it, 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 part, it sounds also like just people, like uninformed protest. Right. I mean, they're protesting Netflix, and it's on Amazon Prime. And there's like, plenty of shows on Netflix to protest. Right. Yeah. Yes, there actually are. There's some good shows on Netflix, but there are some some pretty terrible ones, too. I can't imagine. All right, so, folks, read and watch Good Omens, and let's protest the people that are protesting Good Omens. And I want to start a petition to remove the petition that wants to get Good Omens removed from Netflix only because it's an, an error itself. I'm gonna invite up our next, thank you, Mindy. And uh, before we invite up the next person, do you wanna plug? Oh yes, I actually wanted to plug my book and I have more cards. Um, I have a book, a chapter in a book coming out in October called When Kids Ask Hard Questions, Faith-Filled Responses for Tough Topics. It is through the imprint of Young Clergy Women and with Charles Press and it is uh, fabulous. I wrote a chapter on children with disability and it's all about the questions that kids ask and how parents can respond and they're um, from a faith-filled response. So coming out in October, take a card, pre-order. Unfortunately not through Judson Press. We are sorry, Home Mission Society. Um, but it's still a very good book in addition to that. Our next guest, 
Jamie Washington is the pastor of the First Baptist Church in America mm -hmm. in Providence, Rhode Island. Let's say we are, give her a well, well, warm welcome. Jamie, this is your second time on the show. It is. I've been Thank trying you. to get you on a second time. So. Well, I appreciate the invitation back. It's good to have you. Well, so far, it's good to have you back. Let's see. <laughs> Jury's still out. Yeah. The last, the last rally you did, I think, was was just wonderful for me because it was telling people to listen to your grandmother. That's I don't know if you remember it. Vaguely. Yeah. Something like, please don't buy junk or crap for your grandmother. She doesn't need it. Just be nice to her. Give her hugs. That kind of thing. Yeah, that's true. So, what's ticking you off today? Well, it's not a funny one. I'm just angry okay. that we as Americans have thrown up our hands and are saying that we can't do anything about gun violence. Yeah. Yeah. I, it is just, and I'm, you know, I come from hunters. I'm not saying don't do that. But to say that, sorry kids, you're just going to have to duck and cover, I'm, I'm done. I'm done with us just rolling over and thinking that there's nothing that can be done when other countries manage this, can protect their children in school, can protect people in worship, people in parks. You know, I don't want to look at a car on the side of the road and think, are they broken down or should I duck while I'm driving? I mean, that's not a healthy response. And I believe that we are smart, that we are creative, and that we are imaginative, and that the Holy Spirit can do more than we can imagine. And if we don't believe that, then what are we doing? And so I'm just frustrated that we have just given up and rolled over and are just showing our soft bellies like, well, you know, sorry kids. No, no, I'm just, it, uh, it's not necessary. Yeah. I, you know, we yeah. can do better than this. We can do so much better than this. And, and that we don't want to says a lot. I'm, you know, I, I've gone to these vigils for the children of Connecticut. And if a bunch of first graders didn't do it. Right. And every year we go and there are these children who play handbells who are their age mates. And I'm looking at them. And it's just, it's, it. It is, it is sinful that yeah. we refuse right. to do something more than what we've done. Right. It, I, I really appreciate that you haven't projected it onto politicians, but bring us all into it as well. Yeah. Because I, I wonder if, if that's part of If they're not going to do it. Right. No, obviously not. No. If they right. would have if they were going to. And if, and if six-year-olds didn't do it, then... Right. <laughs> and, and it hasn't been too long. And, and I refuse to say that the response is that we have to militarize our churches and put armed right. guards outside because, right. no, this is supposed to be a slice of heaven that we create on a regular basis. And if we aren't willing to do that and to say, well, we just need to lock the doors. Well, friends, in Sutherland Springs, they just went through the walls. So that's better locks aren't going to do it. And giving someone the side eye that you think looks shady isn't going to do it either because maybe they just need Jesus and they're coming into church. So I just am so upset that we are thinking we need to profile one another. Yes, be prepared. Yes, be thoughtful. Have a plan. But can we just shift the narrative? Can we say that this is not acceptable? I mean, we're here in Virginia Beach. Right? Yeah, yeah. We can do better than this. And the fact that we haven't is, you know, it's a pox on all our houses. I, I love the, the shift in narrative. I think it's, it's so vital for us as a people of faith. Because, yeah, I, I, it does, it feels to me often like yeah, our politicians have created this narrative. Like, as it's like, like, well, that's just the way it is. So we just need to be prepared. But to say as a people of faith, we do have a different narrative that comes from, as you said, like the Holy Spirit. Uh, but do we, how seriously do we take that? And what kind of risks are we willing to take? 
Well, then it just seems like not only a lack of imagination, but a lack of faith, because I know the spirit can change the story, can flip things over, and we've seen it happen, but for some reason, we don't believe it in this regard. Jamie, thank you so much. Yeah. I, no, that's, it's important. I mean, as, as much as this podcast is fun, it's also serious. Yeah. Yeah. And these are serious things that we need to keep on the fore of our mind. I, I deeply appreciate that, Riley. Well, I mean, having my son, when he was in kindergarten, come home and tell me what he did that day, and when I discovered that he was describing an active shooter drill, yeah. you know, telling them to hide like baby bunnies, I said, well, that may be, that might work, but you also should run in a zigzag. I mean, like, what are we, what are we teaching our children? That that's, it's their job to throw heavy books mm-hmm. at someone? Right. Really? Right. So what do you think of the, what do you think is a narrative that we could offer as a people of faith? That, that this is not acceptable. Okay. That we, yeah. that there are alternatives and that we can expect better, that we can demand better. That, that we can, I, I think that we as churches and places of worship have to set the tone and set an example for what does it mean to be prepared, to be wise, but also not to capitulate to this narrative that, that that's how it has to be again. Because I think when we come together in worship, that's supposed to be this taste of heaven, of what it's supposed to be like. And if, if we think you have to go through a metal detector to have a taste of heaven, then we have different notions of what that pearly gate in, it entails. And if it feels like you're in worship, you're getting that taste of heaven, then the hope is that you'll bring that with you into the world. Out into the world. And so you hopefully will start to have this shift, this cultural shift, this cultural change, which in my, what I hear is also embedded with this idea of shifting the narrative as well. Right. So yeah, so I, I, you know, if nothing else, starting with worship, but please don't stop there. Right. I mean, it sounds like, you know, advocacy work is vital. Well, and to say, what, what is a sacred space? What makes some place holy? Yeah. And if we can if we can demand it for our state houses, then why couldn't we demand it for our children? Right. They seem. I mean, we have all this rhetoric about how we want to treat our children, but then we don't really do it. So I don't. I either you don't believe it or I don't believe you. Right. You know. So right. I think we have to either shift our narrative or shift our behavior. But right now, the the, the disconnect. I'm, I'm done. Good. Yeah. I'm glad that you're done. That's excellent. Mm. Thank you. I'll try to make another Rylage funny, but not today. No, that's all right. I wasn't feeling funny. I, I let off okay. funny, so... Thank you. you yeah. Go. Molly, it's on you. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, I think it's, you know, part of that Rylage is you know, sometimes we do feel, those of us who are pastors feel like, well, can I really speak so angrily, or can I? And some pastors do feel emboldened in their pulpits, their churches, like, really invite that, but others feel afraid. And, and good or bad, you, we can, that's an old, old topic we can unpack, but we have to have that place where we say, I need to really let the Spirit speak through me. Right. And sometimes it's just not funny, the things that can make us angry. Right. So thank you. That's it. Thanks. All right, so our next guest, Molly Marshall, the president. Oh, she gave me her card. It's a nice card. The president of Central Baptist Seminary and professor of theology and spiritual formation in Shawnee, Kansas. Give Molly a, a nice warm welcome. This is Molly's first time on the show. Yeah. <laughs> Molly, I'll, I'll have you know that when I, I, I posted on, on the social media that I was going to be doing this live show, and it was kind of last minute such, and I said, Who do you think for guests? You know, maybe a couple people said, you're, 
um, evoked your name and said, Molly Marshall would be great. And I said, I don't know. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, as soon as, <laughs> no, as soon as I heard, I was like, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, feel free. It's, it's, it's Home Mission Society's equipment. <laughs> United Mission dollars at work right here. Please, United Missions is the vehicle to making things like this happen. United Missions. So. No, I, so I am so excited to have you on the show. So thrilled that you're here. What's making you angry? I've been angry so long. <laughs> I remember my teacher, Andy Lester, said, it's a sin not to be angry about the things God is angry about. Mm -hmm. And so I have been angry a long time about how the church treats its daughters, about the Southern racist heritage in which I grew up. I've been mad about he-mangelicals forever. Made up word, but you understand. It's a great word. <laughs> Most recently, I was in Cuba for a week. And when I realized that women had greater liberty and equality under the values of communism and socialism rather than American Christianity and capitalism, it was a stake in my heart mm. that the way that they do justice much closer to the New Testament values of Acts than so many of us and it really troubled me. And I thought the vision that they have had for liberation has not seeped fully into our own consciousness. Now, of course, there's a very different narrative told right. in Cuba about their history than the U.S. has ever told about it. And I just am tired of the U.S. swaggering through the world with bombast um, and being a bully. Uh, the day before we got there, uh, all the cruise ships from the U.S. were cut off going into port in Havana or Matanzas. Who does that hurt? Who does that hurt? It hurts the folk who are scrambling just for livelihood. And so the, the larger complex, I think, of what I'm talking about is uh, its patriarchy, which shows up in racism, capitalism, sexism, uh, nationalism, all of one big ball of wax. And I just am very, very tired of it. And yet, we see little movements of hope. And being with Cuban pastoras was, for me, uh, a sign of hope of what the wind of the spirit uh, can accomplish. Mm. Wow, thank you so much. So My Rylan seems so frivolous now. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I was actually like, no, no, see no, illogical. See, see next time, illogical. next time, next time I come, then, then I can really do a rant that is inconsequential. So. <laughs> I think there's were consequential. They were no. consequential. Yeah. Well, yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, well, yours was, no, indeed. Was There's consequences. Yes. 
Well, <laughs> I'm not going to apologize for my rant. But, Jonathan, I want to know where do the scooters fit into your rant? Oh, because scooters! Because you didn't even talk oh, that. I, I thought that's where you were going. I, they should all be wearing helmets. Yeah. That's... Yes. All the scooters should be, they all need to wear helmets because it just takes one fall. Mm -hmm. Head injuries are serious things. All right. My father's a pediatrician. He taught me that, it, I mean, he just kept showing me, see, you hit your head. <laughs> That's what happened. No. Uh, but yeah, I mean, things need to be in order. <laughs> Stay in your lane. There's a place for everything. My books have a place on their shelf. There is a lane for bikes. There is a lane for pedestrians. Scooters, I don't know. I just don't know. Mm. I just don't know. Mm. But that's going to be my issue to figure out. <laughs> that's... No, so I, I don't think our, our biology, I mean, there's, there's certainly different weightiness. But we all get angry about different things. And our, all of our anger, I like what you said, is real. And it is important for us to articulate that. And to have that space to actually say, here's what's making me angry, and to hear, to have other people hear it, can be really freeing. Um, it also means like, oh, now it's out there. <laughs> now I need to do something with it. Which is why I usually just return to the New England sensibilities of like, just keep it to yourself. <laughs> but no, thank you so much for your mileage. Thank you for, for all that you shared. We're gonna move on to the main topic. Posted, maybe, maybe it might have been you that shared it, that some of our, our, our friends in our Southern Baptist circles, and I don't know if it was officially Southern Baptist, but it has to be. I, that's not fair, but it felt like it. Uh, there's a conference happening at some time, and it was hard to find it after I found it. It's one of those things that, that probably after they posted yes, yes, yes. it, they said, oh, maybe this was a bad idea. Uh, but the, the conference was basically saying the dangers of social justice for evangelism. Uh, and then they went off, and then the subtitle had this kind of its own little rileage about all the evils of modern culture today. And probably Good Omens is one of those things oh, that there were, and, and, and everything on Netflix, again, probably yeah. ill-informed um, rileages. And so I thought, why don't we talk about not just the value of social justice for evangelism, but the necessity so I, even in that topic, and, and I, in some of the promo I said, why social justice and evangelism is like peanut butter and chocolate. And for those of you who are allergic to chocolate, or allergic to chocolate, oh my gosh, I don't know how you live. Um, but those of you who are allergic to peanut butter, I feel I'm sorry, and it's still, oh my gosh, I don't know how you live. Um, but why are peanut, what, what is it about peanut butter and chocolate? They're perfect together, right? How many of you in your freezer right now have Reese's Pieces or Reese's Peanut Butter Cups? <laughs> Seriously, go home, put those in your freezer. <laughs> They're amazing frozen. Be aware of chocolate and child slave labor. I'm just going to say that. I'm going to ruin Reese's for you. Sorry. Right, well, there is probably a free uh, equal exchange or um, fair trade. a fair trade a fair chocolate trade. around. So get your fair trade chocolate, get your fair get trade peanut butter, butter, mix it all together, throw it in the freezer. You'll thank me in the next day. Peppermint patties are also good or whatever. 
Yes, yeah, it's, it's just, also just fair look trade. for, yeah, just be aware of child slave labor in Shopify. Thank you. So, to say that they're necessary is a bold statement. It's a theological claim, I think, of, of one kind or another. So I'm curious of what your thoughts for that. And you can even disagree and say, Jonathan, you're wrong, which you would not be the first to say that. <laughs> it's been said many, many times. Um, but what are, what are your thoughts to this idea, this, this premise that I'm throwing out there, the statement that social justice is essential for evangelism? I don't know how people would ever believe that God is merciful and want, have any, want to have anything to do with God if God's people were not just. And uh, I think the most winsome uh, attraction to gospel is people who live justly and mercifully and draw a very, very wide circle of inclusion uh, that works toward justice. So I have, um, as probably many of you do, family members who believe that the gospel is all about just getting into heaven. And they talk about like how they, they think social justice is just a distraction or as, you know, a worse. And it's denying, it's denying Jesus' life on earth and it's denying everything that Jesus lived for. And I feel very strongly as a, as a Christian that I have to be, you know, living the life that Jesus lived and being compassionate towards others and, and having empathy. But more importantly, as I see, it actually was the Good Omens post, that a friend of mine who is who grew up in that kind of world and is now an atheist, and he's ranting about the church on there and how the church is brainwashing children and um, purity culture and all this stuff on there. And I, and I have to say, you know, you know, I can't argue against what he's saying because it's true and that's what's happening but the witness of Jesus of being you know of speaking to the things he's talking about and child slave labor and and abuse that has happened in the church and speaking you know being empathetic to those who have been victims and who have experienced trauma and being in solidarity with those who are on the margins that that is the witness of our Jesus and that we have to live that and we have to speak that and do that um, and if it's just about getting into heaven, then I don't know. I, what did Jesus live for? Um, well, it wasn't it Jesus who said, if someone is thirsty, you give them something to drink before yes. you give them anything else? And, and I was an adult before I realized that social justice could be a part of church life because that it wasn't it wasn't on my radar. And it was it was kind of shocking and delightful when I realized that that could be a part of my faith. It didn't have to be a separate piece of work. And, you know, and I think at, at its best, that's what our international missions do, and also domestic missions saying, we go and help you with what you need. We try to make ourselves obsolete. And when someone asks, why are you digging us a well, you then will offer something, but, but lead with what people actually need. And if people are in prison or children are in cages, then I think we have our work to do. And if we consistently pray this prayer on earth as it is in heaven, then we need to make that so here on earth because I think if we can't manage it here, what, what makes us think that God would entrust us with anything else? Uh, the disconnect was so obvious in my childhood <laughs> growing up in northeastern Oklahoma in a segregated school. Uh, this will tell you a whole bunch. The white high school in Muskogee, Oklahoma was named Central High School. The black high school was named manual training. Now that tells you what the aspirations were 
for African-American students. The disconnect between evangelism and social justice was most palpable when I heard deacons debate whether or not black people could join the church. And the great harumphing from these so-called godly men was just almost more than I could bear because they were talking about African-American persons uh, as if they were not human beings. Now this is the 50s and the early 60s, yeah. mid-60s. Uh, that tells you that I came of age shortly after the earth cooled. But, um, <laughs> but the disconnect that one could hold this view on racial justice while claiming to care about evangelizing mm -hmm. the world was so ludicrous. Molly, I remember in the 1990s, one of my youth leaders said she didn't know if she would be more upset if her daughter came home with someone who was non-Christian or non-white. And at that point I said, then I don't know what your gospel is. Because how could, I just was so disappointed I was so brokenhearted that this, this was a leader who I had respected who would, would even think that. Well, I, um, I grew up in Church of the Covenant in Palmer, Alaska, which is a very different church, um, one of the founding churches of AWAB, and um, from, it was started in 1985. I grew up um, with a grandfather, Bob Withers, who was an American Baptist pastor who was organizing um, coal miners in West Virginia in the 60s. So I grew up with a very different background than, than some people, and so social justice has always been part of my faith. From the beginning, it was, you know, this is your, you know, to follow Christ is to serve others. There was no, that, that is the bottom line. You're serving um, those around you, especially on the margins, and um, that's, that's the root of my faith and who I am, and I cannot imagine separating that, even though I know people and have family members who do, but that's just who I am. One of the things that I, I, I found similar, there are, there's a similarity that I find between where we're coming from and where this other conference that was saying the two aren't compatible are coming from, is a feeling that there needs to be a redefinition and somewhat of a rejection of culture. Now, this other culture was rejecting culture in such a way as they were rejecting people. And saying there are certain, and that's and it's similar. So the, the narratives that I heard from, from both of you, it's continuing. And they would say those, they would say homosexuality. That was one of the phrases, cannot be a part. So rejecting people. One of the things that I hear from here, and it, I think this ties back to, nicely to your bio, Jamie, is a rejecting culture, but in a different way. It's saying if we are going to really evangelize, then in, in part we are rejecting culture, a culture of, or even what you're saying about this, like, this um, machismo capitalistic attitude of, of, of the United States, this culture of um, you know, ultra-violence that everyone needs to have a gun, uh, that this is how we have to live. Like to say, that's not the culture of Christ, if I can quote a neighbor. Um, but, but then also saying that but, but we are trying to bring a different kind of culture. And, and I think we've kind of talked around it a little bit, um, and, and, but just to make sure that we are clear, would you be willing to speak a little bit about what it is that, that we are trying to... You know, 
know, th this is maybe a, a, a sideways into it, but for, yeah. you know, I know in some of the conversations we're having in Rhode Island around whether it's appropriate to conceal carry into public schools, mm. which right now you can, the, the, the pushback we're getting is, well, I might be the only one in that day who could come in and save those kids, even though the police say this is a bad idea, even though the teachers and the doctors all say this is a really bad idea. And, and, and there's this, this savior mentality that is often coming from folks who proclaim another savior, but then put that mantle on themselves. What was the word you used, Molly, for the... He-mangelical. He-mangelical. He that is a great right, right. word. But, but I think it's that, that, that idea, like, do, 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 do. And maybe you are, but... but no, I, no I, not me. No, 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 I'm not trying to make eye contact <laughs> with you, Jonathan. Oh, good. Yeah, no, please no, don't no, put no, that... No, 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 no sorry, I'm, sorry. I'm uh, running and hiding. No, no, but, but I, think, I think, again, it's, it's misplacing our sense of self and yeah. our... Are where we are in that and what actually does save us and what doesn't and we're putting our faith where it's misplaced often. Um, it, it, go ahead, do you want to... Okay, when it comes back. <laughs> but I mean, and, and I think that does, that does speak to an attitude and probably even a portrayal of Christ that has this, this, this heroism that feels very contrary to the cross. I mean, ultimately, I would argue I do believe the cross is a victory. Ultimately, but it's through the resurrection that it's a victory. But that crucifixion is a defeat, uh, and it's a real—it's a sign of this beautiful weakness um, of God. And who wrote that? Oh, Caputo wrote the weakness of God, and, and really talking about that, and really offering this beautiful. Yeah, thank you. Um, someone, there's a Caputo fan out there. <laughs> One. That's right. Yeah, we sat with him. Uh, but yeah, and really in saying that there's this, this giving of oneself, this emptying of oneself. I think that's in the Bible somewhere. Please don't ask me to quote it. I went to Andrew Newman. Oh, good. <laughs> there's a Central Baptist. Yeah, and Andrew Newman, we just know that Tillich talked about it. <laughs> and that might be why. Uh... All right, now. All right. The shame from Central Baptist. Jonathan, let, let me pick back yeah, up please. what I was thinking. Um, this, uh, this triumphalistic Christianity, mm -hmm. this theology of glory that Luther railed against, rather than a theology of the cross that is vulnerable and that identifies with all the places God chooses to hide. And I'm mm -hmm. quoting, mm -hmm. quoting Luther. Uh, Not in we, the German, though. We don't <laughs> want any part of that. Right. We want right. to soar over human exigency and misery. We do not want to identify with God forsakenness, the dispossessed, the marginal. And so we miss where Jesus is at work and where he would be calling us uh, to be because we want to be cosseted, comforted, secure, uh, let's get those guns and try to secure our lives. And you see the irony of that sort of thing. Only God secures our lives and God does it through a cross. Now how yeah. ironic is that? But I, I'm going to be devil's advocate here because, you know, somebody's got to be. Uh, good Omens isn't here. <laughs> well, what I would think that, that 
those who would say, I would rush in and do that, I think that their instinct is coming from a place that says, I would lay down my life for even those. And so that's what I, I, I believe that the internal narrative, if I were to try to articulate it for someone else, would be that. However, what we're hearing from anyone who's in a position of authority is that, that that's not the way to do it. This isn't, that kind of heroism isn't what's gonna save the day. You know, but, but I would wanna be charitable to those who might offer that idea. Well, isn't, I mean, is there, isn't that part of the work of social justice is in a longer view of saying, we wanna run in and help. Hmm. Um, it, 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 I would just say, you know, that you know, there's a, a, a tragedy in, in Puerto Rico. Maria comes, devastates the island, and a large part of American Baptist response is, we now want to run in and help. Um, because, I mean, it's not the immediate <coughs> devastation. It makes but us I, feel superior. Well, and that, there is a danger to that, isn't there? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there is a danger to that. I mean, yeah. White savior complex. But, but I also hear Jamie saying that there's a, but what about that place of saying, I'm willing to lay down my life mm -hmm. to put myself in discomfort, to take chances for the sake of helping other people? I, mean, I, I don't know what to I mean, do with that. that that's, that's what I've heard. I just, I just don't want to give a fully, I mean, I, I would want to try to offer what I've heard someone say when they've articulated that, even though I don't agree with the outcome. Well, that puts us in a bit of conundrum. Mm, well, that's, yeah, jeez. If it was easy, we would have done it. Yeah. If it was mm. easy, we would have figured yeah. this stuff out. No. Yeah. And Molly, I like what, um, what you were saying about God being in, in, in those places where the, uh, of hiding. Uh, that's not a quote of you, uh, but uh, something, something along those lines. And well, it's Luther talking about us finding God at the places where God chooses to hide. Okay, yes. I just haven't read enough Luther. In the cross, in the cradle, neither of those places seems like a likely mm. habitation uh, for the divine one. Mm -hmm. I, I feel that speaks to a real validity of small churches. Uh, um, uh, because I, I imagine a number of you here are engaged with or have experience with smaller churches. American Baptists are not known for their large mega churches. We do have some, and you know, praise God for them, but we have a lot of small churches. And for those of you who work with small churches or have that experience, know what it's like to, have, to get up on a Sunday morning and to see the, all the empty spaces and say, what are we doing? What aren't we doing right? That kind of thing. And, and to say, are we losing? And, 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 but there's, there's a, such a potential for an authenticity in the witness of, of, you know, of small churches or those churches that reach out to people who seem who are other, um, those people who you, you reach out to who aren't going to bring in a lot of money, um, those people who aren't going to really help your church grow, those people who actually may be a burden on your congregation, um, but say, but these are the people we need to be there for. Uh, and, and, I mean, that's, that kind of resonated, Molly, with what you were saying with that. And as, a, as American Baptists, I think that's a strong part of who we are. Uh, and it's not something we, we hear about it a little bit, but it's not something we brag about. We're a denomination of small and middle-sized churches that are just doing okay. <laughs> that'll, be our, that'll be for the Office of General Secretary. That can be their next tagline. American Baptists, we're doing okay. <laughs> not great, but, you know, we're trying. <laughs> But maybe that's a bragging point for us. Like, there's an there can be, there's that real potential for authenticity there. 
Now, I do hear of many small churches where there's a lot of backbiting, a lot of politics happening. I mean, not in Rhode Island. Yeah, our, <laughs> our executive minister of Rhode Island churches has just said no. I mean, Rhode Island is if you want to find a good, healthy church, <laughs> Connecticut. <laughs> no, go ahead. Jonathan, I really like where you're going with this uh, because this is really the, the Paschal mystery mm. of our faith. Uh, death to new life, resurrection shows up in different form uh, than, than what, has, what has died. And it, it calls to humility, to vulnerability, to uh, a pathway of self-giving that really is gospel. And uh, to welcome those whom God is bringing our way to uh, not be so full of ourselves and, and in self-preservation mm. mode is really a graceful way to be church. Nicely said. So I wonder if there's a way to do social justice that has a real, so speaking as someone, a white male, straight, cisgendered white male, and very aware of the privilege that I have because of those identifying markers. I'm wondering if there's a way for me to do social justice that has a lot of vulnerability so that it isn't like a white savior complex. I think one thing you can do is amplifying the voices of others and, and giving um, positions of leadership and, and helping to lift up folks of, um, who are from a different background from you, uh, different gender orientation, um, uh, race, uh, cultural background, language, lifting up those voices. I think one of the things we can do and, and one of the things I'm trying to do, I have, I'm doing a church restart in Seattle, a very small church. Um, and we're reaching out and we're getting folks who are coming in from different backgrounds because they're coming from, they're coming across the world to work for Amazon or Google or something. And really trying to, to help folks, you know, that equip them for ministry and to see their gifts. So I've been preaching on, you know, Holy Spirit and gifts, Pentecost kind of lends itself to that. But, but really trying to remind them all that they are ministers. And it's something, um, and I, I mentioned this in a sermon recently, the church I grew up in that I was sharing earlier rented space from an Episcopal church that had a little card in the corner of the mirror in the bathroom that said, you are looking at a minister. And I guess I took that literally, but I really, I told everyone in the church, you know, I am looking at ministers and I'm really trying to empower the folks to go do ministry, it's not that it's not the pastor to power them, but especially to look at those who um, are new to the church, who don't have the power because they're not in the power structures that have been existing, to to find those voices and to amplify them. And I think that is our role as pastors. And I think in small churches we can especially do that. Find the people who have had, who who haven't had power and haven't had been, been able to do things, and to give a and not to micromanage, to let them, you know do things as they will, and that takes a lot of letting go of the power of the people who have been there, and that's a tough transition, we all know that, but but really to, to let the spirit do its work. And a willingness to allow the institution to be changed yes. by the people who are there. It's not enough to bring someone into token leadership right. and say, oh, look at us, but to say, I, I am going to be different, our whole organization is going to be different because you're here. And that makes a difference. And it's not—it's not this window dressing. And you know, we always tell our children, "You have two ears and one mouth." That means listen twice as much as you talk. And I think that that's 
also part of our, 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 our work is yep. to, to just receive. And, and to not, I mean, at the, at the, at the luncheon today at MMBB, you talked about having a weather report and how, you know, you can, you can report something and then just kind of let it sit for 10 minutes and, and, not, and not have to fix it or, or say, well, this is how we do it or what you mean to say is, but, but to really let, I mean, I, I think when, when, the, when the hurricane hit Maria, I mean, hit Puerto Rico and the, the churches there said, we want to fix our churches first and then our houses. And a lot of folks on the mainland thought, what in the world? Why wouldn't you fix your houses and then your church? But the folks there said, this is how we do things. And we said, okay, then that's how we're going to do right. things. Right. We, we trusted the people who, who right. knew the situation best. I think one of the things that we need to do culturally for white men mm. is help them lay down the burden of having to be the fixers. Mm. I think sometimes we project it on them. Mm -hmm. I think men, manly men, assume that that has to be the role. And I think it would be a very vulnerable thing for a white man to not arrogate that particular role to himself. And it would create space for other persons to participate in more constructive ways. And it would be liberating for the men. Exactly. To lay that down. Oh, yeah. Although, I will say, when, when, I mean, yes. But when Mindy said, you know, and, and not micromanage, I, I got a little tense. Did anyone <laughs> did anyone else get tense when you get here that idea of not? No, you're all, you're all very healthy. Oh, oh, okay, someone else is not. I was going to shout amen, but I didn't. Right? Yeah, because because I mean, there's a particular way of doing things, and if it's not done right, then I'll. But no, I mean that's I mean partially those are my own issues, but I think a lot of us have that when we try to, you know, perhaps those of us who are who are pastors or in leadership positions are there because we're certain personality types and and to let go and to let something be done in a way that you might not think best can be terrifying but yes. that's what I hear you saying us that it's so important to do yes and and I am a type a plan everything out do everything on Google Calendar person and it is hard but I have to and I we've got two new people coming into leadership in my church and I gave them the, the four-line job description that we've had for their position. But I said, there is room for growth and change in this, and I want to see what you can do. And I'm really trying to encourage them to push the boundaries on my leadership that wants to put people in slots. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and so nominating committees, you know, you're, you got to do your job and let go and, and let go of those slots. And that's, I mean, it's, it's hard work because then you get into bylaws and blah, blah, blah. But, yeah, we're all, uh, but you, we have to do that. We have to let go of, you know, okay, there's a fellowship chair. What does that mean? And our fellowship chair doesn't think it means food after Sunday on worship, you know, knowing who's bringing what. That it's more about, like, let's get together and talk about the things that concern us. And I'm like, yes, that is what it means. And so she's going on a roll with that. And it's, you know, the other people are really concerned that nobody signed up for food next Sunday. I'm like. Safeways across the street will be fine. Well, and I think I think it's that releasing control over the outcome. So I'll offer you a mantra that a wise friend of mine has when you are presented with uh, responses that you would not have chosen yourself. Hmm, that's one way. <laughs> right? Because it's completely true. And then you don't have to eat those words later. You go, oh, well, that's one way. And, and you acknowledge it. And then if it turns out it's a good way, all right then. But, but it's, 
It's like my friend who, who's a priest, and if he sees babies, that he, babies are all precious, but sometimes they're funny looking. And, and what he'll say is, oh my, that's a baby. <laughs> That's one way, right? Yeah, that's, you know, so, so it, and it may blow up, it may implode. I mean, you, but you have to release that yeah. outcome, that, yeah. and that's that same control. That sal, who, what's, what's going to save us here? Well, I want to, I want to turn to. Did you want to get a word in? Okay, I wanted to turn and see if there were. We had so much wisdom here, and so thank you. And we're not quite done yet. We have 15 more minutes or so, and I wanted to see if there were any questions. Oh, Madison's already up there. All right, Madison, what do you got? So. When thinking about sort of social justice in the church, I think about the fact that our the people who want it or think it's essential, their primary opponents are human beings, right? Like Paul likes to say that we contend not against flesh and blood, but boy, are we contending against flesh and blood. And and so my question is, how do you do that work, knowing that sometimes your your opponents are human? Sometimes doing things that you think are monstrous. I mean, I think when I said concentration camps, there's monsters that we contend against who wear human flesh. But how do we do that, still saying that like that there is a human beneath that monstrosity that needs to be seen and understood and yeah. and, 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 and redeemed. So and how do we do, I'm, I'm saying it partially so others hear, but also for the recording, so they, I'm just gonna do a summation. Um, nice thing, wonderfully put. How do we do social justice when we know those that we rub up against or those who we are very much against are other people? How do we work with that, in, in essence? What are your thoughts? I, I think it's helpful to try to remind ourselves of one another's humanity. Like, what if this was my cousin and we're going to go have Thanksgiving together? How do we not paint one another into a wall where there's no room that even if somebody wanted to turn around, they could. And so how do we, how do we give one another grace? And even when you profoundly disagree, because I would want that afforded to me, but, but how do we not um, just completely uh, two-dimensionalize one another and demonize each other and just presume that we know what you're all about just because you hold these three perspectives? You know, how do we give people room to to, to change and to transform and uh, give them give them space to do that because if your back's up against a wall that's not going to happen. And at the same time, uh, social justice has to do with advocacy for persons who are the most vulnerable right. and in in the hardest place. And so if you're going to prioritize caring for them at the expense of the obstinate feelings of others. I would still want to prioritize the most vulnerable. Uh, I'm, I think what Jamie has said is really, is really thoughtful and merciful in terms of giving, uh, offering civility and giving people an opportunity to come round right. Uh, but I, I, I do think if there is a sifting of what is urgent in this. I, I agree, and I think. Um, also giving ourselves some grace that we're not perfect and like people are going to just get under our skin and tick us off and our, you know, and sometimes the, the hate word comes out. We don't want it to, but it does. Um, you know, as much as we can love our neighbor as ourself. Um, but, you know, it's, it's hard. I, I mean, 
I have a friend that I've known since fourth grade. We, my dog that I grew up came from his mom, and he's a police officer, and he's really mad when I put Black Lives Matter stuff up on my Facebook wall. And I, we have, we wrestle with this, but I am adamant that, you know, there is a, there is um, a culture that is happening within police forces that is, that is sinful and that has demonized and, um, and targets black people. And I am not going to let go of that. And, and he's taking it personally about him and instead of looking at the culture that he's part of in that. And that's hard. And that's hard. And, and I can look back and remember this kid that I grew up with and still say, what you were doing is, you know, you need to, to listen and see the humanity of these people. As I try to humanize him, remembering him as, as a friend. Doug, are you raising your hand? Just stretching. Okay, good, stretch away. <laughs> yes? I, I wanted to sort of go back in your beginning, and Jamie, with your point, complexifying the savior concept and I, I kind of want to hear you wrestle with that a little more, in particular by, by noting that the prophetic and activist side of us can also have a savior complex. And what does it mean from that perspective to serve a crucified savior, as a, have a crucified savior as our model, um, when we can't, when we're dealing with things so huge that even though we desire So, just again to sum up for the recording and such. So, really, st uh, going back to the, the, the complexity of the of the savior savior complex, especially when you bring in the idea of the prophetic, which is a huge part of, of doing social justice. Um, what was the last thing that you said? I'm sorry. Yeah. So, how and, and coming from that with great passion, how do we accept the idea of a crucified savior? How do we live out? So how do we accept that idea of a crucified crucified savior? Well, we need to remember uh, Jesus is Jesus and we are not, uh, even though we're called to be little Christs and to uh, pursue uh, his identity, the identity of Christ. Uh, I had a teacher along the way, Wayne Oates at Southern Seminary, a long time ago. There's a Wayne Oates fan out there. Yes, who was a very wise man. And he says you really can only effectively carry one justice cause at a time. Mm -hmm. And of course that was just a splash in the face of the, you know, the firebrands because we wanted to change everything all at once. But he was, he was talking about preserving us from this heroic savior complex of the presumption that we had enough energy to do all these different things he was warning us against the diminution of our witness by trying to speak to too many things. And he was calling us, he was calling us to focus. And at the same time, he was, he was warning us that uh, a great deal of humility uh, would be involved because of all the ways we would mess up, as, as you were saying. Uh, we would be patronizing, we would lack empathy, we would speak into a situation without any kind of understanding, without ever listening, 
uh, sufficiently. So I, I think it's really important, and I appreciate you raising the issue, that if you want to do prophetic advocacy and activism, that you keep a pretty good check on your own, uh, your own self-interest that is involved in that and your own ego. Mm -hmm. Nicely said. Wow. Any other questions? Well, I want to, oh, go ahead. My question uh, pertains to both social justice and mileage. One thing I've noticed these past few days, there's multiple instances of typically white men talking over and around women who are in the room. Even in ABC Life, uh, one of the denominations that is rightly proud of ordaining women for such a long time, of course, the most prominent instance of that was a joke on Wednesday about the women in the room having to clean up uh, after everyone ate. So how do you, as clergy women, deal with misogyny in American Baptist life? So I'm going to repeat the last part. Uh, well, I mean, actually, I'll, I'll summarize. Thank you, Joe. That there is, there has been a continuing challenge that that we've witnessed and heard about of, of men, especially white men, speaking over women um, when they're when they're talking or in, interrupting and such, and um, yeah, disturbing at a disturbing amount. And so the the question, Joseph, is how to use clergy women. So. Um, wrestle with misogyny is that in, in this day and age? I post about it on Facebook. Um, <laughs> no, seriously, I, I mean, the first thing I do is I really try to speak up. And so I was, so I have experienced this day one of being here. I had an experience and, um, and I spoke up, somebody had, I had just shared my views on something and five minutes later, uh, uh, the white male at the table uh, began to say the same exact thing I had just said and the person next to me said she just said that but they had to he said well let me finish and then he said the exact same thing I just said it's known as you know mansplaining and so it's important for us to speak up but I am gonna put this I'm tossing the ball back to you white men please call your colleagues out on this it is tiring for us to call us out, and I'm, as I'm sure it is for anyone who is on the margins to speak when, when they are being patronized or something spoken to them. So I am tossing the ball back to you who are in power. When you hear this, call it out. So. I must confess that there was a time uh, when I was so tired of being interrupted are talked over, that I began to model the same behavior. I began to interrupt fellows and talk over them, and uh, simply because I was just sick of it. And, and I realized that's not the right way to do this. Much better to be forthright. Please let me finish. Please let me finish. Or if someone has been really, really uh, terribly dismissive toward a woman in my presence, just to name it right there, even if I don't come across as the most civil or kindly person. An example, uh, there was a young woman who heard me um, speak at a thing recently 
And uh, she came up afterwards and she says, I want to go to seminary. I must study. I want to learn how to deal with texts. About an hour later, I see her walking down the hall with her pastor, who, as, we, as he comes up to me, he says, you've created a monster, because I had encouraged her about theological study. Now, I don't usually poke people, <laughs> but I poked him because I thought he needed more than verbal rebuttal. <laughs> and I happened to know the fellow. And I said, that is precisely the problem. You have diminished her calling. You have made fun of her yearning. Don't do that. Now, I grew up as a sweet Southern woman. One is not supposed to do such things. But Rileage, yes. But her zeal and her yearning and her responsiveness to what was the movement of the Spirit in her life. And he dismissed it by saying, you've created a monster. She wants to go to sea. I, I could not bear it. I was going to say, it's a good reminder that sometimes, you know, we think jokes are funny, but when somebody calls you out on it, apologize and, and don't do it again. Without saying, you don't have a sense of humor. Right. <laughs> yeah, you women can't think things are funny. How many times, just for kicks, have y'all been asked, boy, is your husband a pastor too? Now imagine I got here all on my own two legs with the Holy Spirit. In, in, in my case... In my case, my husband actually is a pastor, but um, he is the children's minister. I'm the senior pastor, and, and he's the one who cooks and takes care of our son and all that. So. Someone asked me that recently, and my dear sister Jennifer Sanborn said, I wished you'd have said, no, he's not, but my wife is. <laughs> Or how many times, women, have you been standing in a small circle talking and a man comes by and says, what are you plotting? I mean, invariably, what are you plotting? World Wait, domination. Which leads to my Smashing favorite Bible verse, where two or three women gather in my name Men get nervous. <laughs> I think that's a, I think that's a wonderful place to end. I mean, that's, I mean, that's just a great Bible verse. To, I, I don't know if it's verbatim, but the reversed vision version. Okay, good enough. It, it, it's Philippians two three. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's, 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 that's I want to. I want to. Yeah. I want to thank thank our guests. So much. Thank you so much for all of that <laughs> and more for everything that you brought. Uh, so, uh, Mindy Welton Mitchell is the pastor of Queen Anne Baptist Church in Seattle, Washington. What time's your worship service? 11 a.m. 11 a.m. So, you if can you're sleep in, you can sleep in. This is a church for everyone. Um, so, if you're in the greater Seattle area, go to Mindy's church. Yes, please. 11 a.m. Fine preaching, great Christian education. 
Jamie Washam is the pastor of the First Baptist Church in America in Providence, Rhode Island. What time is your worship service? Summertime, 10 a.m., because we have original air conditioning, 11 a.m., <laughs> autumn, winter, and spring. So either 10 a.m. or 11 a.m., depending on this, the season? Just come at 10, and you can hit Christian Ed either way. So just like yeah. come at 10. Just come at 10, yeah. So if you're in the greater Rhode Island area, which is really <laughs> southern New England, <laughs> go, to, go to Jamie's church. You can go to my church, too. But go to Jamie's church. <laughs> First, again, fine preaching and, and good Christian education. That's right. And good Christian education. Molly Marshall is the president of Central Baptist. I wanted to make sure I get the whole title. The president of Central Baptist seminary and professor of theology and spiritual formation. Molly, is there, is there a church that you affiliate yourself with that you want to plug? I, I want to plug the seminary. Okay, well actually. Then, so no, I'm a member of Prairie Baptist Church in Prairie Village, Kansas. But Central is all over the world. You don't have to be in Shawnee. You can be anywhere. We're going to rename ourselves Decentral. Because we're everywhere. Um, so the decentralized Baptist Seminary. <laughs> and, um, uh, and if they wanted to go to Central at some time. <laughs> yeah. Actually, we have a very robust uh, distance ed online Excellent. program. Uh, partnerships in Myanmar, 13 locations in the U.S. Is there, is there a webpage you, you want to plug or anything or just go www.cbts. Dot edu. And there we go. I want to again thank the American Baptist Home Mission Societies for giving the space and the time for this. We really do appreciate it and all that they do. Um, we also we did give a shout out to MMBB. Thank you for the water over there in MMBB. Apparently, uh, Jesus said, if you're thirsty, Go to MMBB and they'll make sure you're okay. International Ministries, we thank you for all the good work you're doing, especially with, you know, with, with your missionaries who are doing just amazing, amazing work. Um, and uh, let's give a shout out to the Office of General Secretary because there are just so many people who are involved in that ministry doing so many things at in, um, ecumenical levels and local levels with their churches. Thank you to our regional ministries. Um, buy something at Judson Press, anything at our seminaries. Have I said a thank you to everyone so no one's going to be angry at me? I'm a pastor. Um, and, and especially, thank you to all of you for being here. Let's have an applause for our guests and for yourselves. Thank you so much. And I hope you enjoy the worship service tonight and the rest of our Biennial Mission Summit gathering. Thank you. Well, there it is, or there it was, there it ever shall be. The live show that we had at the American Baptist Churches USA National Biennial Summit Mission Gathering. I think they have an official title for it, an official way of describing it, but I don't know what it is. And um, Honestly, right now, I just don't want to look it up. I'm sorry. It's been a long day. You know, I've been recording, I've been editing, I've been doing a lot. So I hope you enjoyed that conversation. It was uh, I, it was fun, and it was really an honor to have uh, all those women at, on the panel. They just brought such a wealth of of wisdom, and yeah, it was just it was just really great. And the the, the thing I just needed to try to do was just stay out of the way, and I maybe did it. I don't know.
Anyways, thanks for listening to this show. I know it went a little bit on the longer side, but it was a live show. What do you want? Uh, if you want to send a comment about this show or any other shows, you can send those to 12enough at gmail.com. You can go to the Facebook page where I tend to say things about what's happening with this show. Sometimes I don't, but you can still go to Facebook page. Join the 12 Enough Nation. No, it's not a nation yet. It's a city-state. Join the 12 Enough city-state. We will rise up and eventually form a kind of government and decide how we're going to uh, rule ourselves, make a currency, that kind of thing. But join us. Join us. Uh, that's Facebook slash 12 Enough. 12 Enough is always written out. And of course, check out the homepage, 12enough.com. 12 Enough is, you guessed it, written out, where you can find the show notes to this show and other shows, as well as my blog post and other things that I do. So I think that's all the promo stuff I need to do. I encourage you to think about helping others, to be silent, to speak out, and to, you know, try to step out of your comfort zone every once in a while. That was weird. I never give those kind of little ending thoughts. I don't know what I was thinking. But anyways, thanks a lot for listening, and I hope you have a good day, or night, or morning, or whatever. Thanks a lot for listening. 12 Enough is a podcast of Christian faith and culture in the modern age. Your hosts were Jonathan Malone and Mindy Welton-Mitchell and Jamie Washam and Molly Marshall. The thoughts, ideas, opinions, ruminations, moments of brilliance, so many moments of brilliance, moments of stuttering and stammering, moments of not sure what was going on, do not really reflect, do not at all reflect institutions that the hosts represent, the denomination, their families, their friends, their places of residence, people they happen to brush up against the street, the pets they own, the pets they wish they owned, the pets they are sorry that they own, the idea that owning a pet is something you should do anyways. They do not represent any of those things. These were their own ideas. This was their podcast.